0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Mercer Matters podcast. My name is Ben Sharp, and my goal is to have a discussion with each of the candidates who are running for Mercer Island School Board in the fall of 2023. I have reached out to each candidate and offered to have a discussion with them. But if for some reason you don't see a candidate listed as an episode in the podcast, it is because they have declined to be interviewed. So without further ado, let's jump right into this episode. Hi everyone. Today, I'm joined by Jody Lee, who's running for position five uh, of the Mercer Island School Board. Jody, thanks for joining the the Mercer Matters podcast here. Um, I'd like to just start by thanking you for uh, taking the time to um, to run uh, for the school board. Um, I know it's just a ton of work, and uh, you know, I'm sure you have a day job. Uh, so, thanks for for all you're doing on behalf of the community. Um, you know, it's really appreciated. I want to just Start by you know, having you introduce yourself, your background, um, and then uh, what made you decide uh, to run for the, for the school board?
1: Hey, well, thanks for having me on, Ben. Um, it's a pleasure. Um, so my background is, I'm Jody Lee, and I'm running for position five of the school board. Um, my background is that we moved here from Washington, DC, where I had a career as the dispute resolution specialist at the Department of State. Which meant that I ran the mediation program there that resolved interagency disputes and and complicated uh, internal disputes um, at the State Department. So it was more informal dispute resolution rather than formal, um, you know, filing a complaint or an EEO complaint or something. And as such, I traveled extensively. Mostly, most of my work was done overseas at our embassies. Um, I know at our embassies, there's a You know, it's not just the state department, it's foreign service, civil service, aid agencies, um, military intelligence agencies, locally hired staff, family members who are employed. So there's a lot of things that can, there's a lot of places where conflict can happen and where different priorities can come into play. And that's something that I did basically as my job was to provide conflict resolution services to to places. And then I taught at the Foreign Service Institute, teaching our diplomats mediation and facilitation um, for 20 years. So I cool. had wow. that career um, and I think that those are basically like the skills that any effective person on a committee or a commission needs to be able to work with other people and bring people with widely disparate goals to the same achievement. And then when we moved here in 2016, uh, I was really just started as a sort of a community and schools volunteer. And I've been a huge volunteer in our schools in almost every capacity possible from You know, second grade room parent to serving as the parent representative for all parents on the district-wide Learning Forward Committee during COVID. So I've done a lot of different things where I've represented parents and students and families to the administration, um, putting out our point of view and and making sure that the parent and student priorities were also considered um, when decisions were made. And I just wanted to continue that work. Um, And then about last year, uh, three different groups of people approached me with the idea of running for school board and they three different people with groups with different sort of goals in mind, Um, which made me feel like it's not just one agenda pushing me forward, but sort of just like the uh, general consensus that people who have worked with me in the community and worked with me on the schools and know what's important to me think that I could be a helpful voice on the school board. Um, And that's pretty much what brought me here today.
0: Awesome. Well, it sounds like you're a, a doer, so that's <laughs> that's great. Um, so I, I so you mentioned kind of you know your, your concerns and sort of what what you're focused on. Um, you know, one of the first questions I want to ask you is, you know, in your view, what are the you know top two or three most pressing issues facing our school district in, in your mind?
1: Well, one of the things that a cause that's particularly dear to my heart is the idea of uh, student mental health, because really, you know, with the, without that whole student feeling confident and strong, then there really can be no sort of academic achievement or uh, schools going forward to doing their best work or um, any of the other things that are important to us. Uh, I'm on the board of the Mercer Island Youth and Family Services Foundation. I joined that uh, two or three years ago. Um, That's the foundation that provides money for the school counselors. So I'm the kind of person that when I s- want to commit to an issue, I really put my time and money where my mouth is. So it's enough to be like, yeah, student mental health is important, but let mm-hmm. me spend my time and my organizational ability to try to help matters. And since, you know, I've joined the board, we've been able to fund an additional counselor for the middle schools, for example. So we have two full-time counselors now from middle school instead of just one. And that's the kind of thing that's, that's really important. It's like Mercer Island during... COVID, of course, like everywhere, we saw this you know, sharp rise of mental health issues with our students. But um, something that I find interesting is that we have had a quicker rebound in mental health and social-emotional learning post-COVID than other neighboring school districts or similar school districts. And I think a lot of that is because you know, we are the only school district in the United States that has a mental health counselor in every school. I mean, granted, we, we have oh. six schools, but you know still... Yeah. We're the only district that can say that. Um, and, you know, we've taken the time and energy to really focus as a district on how important this is to our students. And I think we're seeing that reflected in how the students um, came back after COVID and, you know, and are going forth from COVID. I, in no way, am I diminishing the very real mental health challenges that a lot of students have still having post COVID. Um, especially the ones that were in that formative years of, you know, building relationships and and learning how to be people um, when they were Zooming. But I think that we've done good work in the district. And that's something I really want to continue to focus on, which, you know, doesn't mean that the rest of like what schools are for isn't important. But, you know, when I see people say like, you can either have student mental health or academic achievement, I think that's a completely false dichotomy. Like it's a Mm -hmm. not either or, it's a both and. Like Mm -hmm. what is the point of having a student who gets super high grades or takes the hardest classes or gets into even the prestigious, most prestigious college if that student is miserable or has suicidal ideation or, you know, is just not living a complete life where they feel that they are themselves. And that's something that's equally important, I would say.
0: Yeah, it seems like Strong mental health is sort of a baseline, uh, from which to operate from, right? Like, yeah. yeah I, I, mean, I, I think I that totally some people are like,
1: it's You know, I was not happy when I was a student, but I got into Harvard, and it's and it's like, well, that's terrible. <laughs> you know, that's terrible. Like, like it's great to go to Harvard. Like, my husband went to Harvard. He's and I see him reaping the benefits now, like the network and everything. Like, there's no discounting going to an Ivy League school, but like. Also, you need to be happy as a person. And, and you know, they are adults when they come out of our school district, right? They're 18. Like, how are we bringing them to it? Like, our job is to shepherd children to an adulthood where they feel like they've been seen and recognized and are confident and feel like adults around them believe in their ability to become adults themselves. And that's something that I think is very important for our school district to keep in mind.
0: So I'm kind of curious. My wife and I, you know, are, are big believers in sort of the mental health. Component that you mentioned. Um, what what do you view as like where we are today and where we need to be? What are, what are the gaps that we need to fill, and, and what do we do about it?
1: With mental health, yeah,
0: yeah, with mental health specifically.
1: I think that that the world is becoming like really complicated in a way that it wasn't even ten years ago, but certainly not even twenty years ago when we didn't have you know smartphones, for example. And I think that that's something that we need to look at more and more. Like, what is the effect of this sort of constant interaction having on in our children. Like I know, even for me personally, you know, I'll watch a video or a movie or something that was made ten years ago, and I'm like, get to the point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, 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 it's my atten- my own attention span is a lot shorter than it was, you know, before I was watching TikTok videos, for example. Right. And so, you know, you have to feel like, what is that doing for our kids? And how do we shepherd our kids? Like, you know, when I'm I'm 56, so like when I was a child, we read the, you know, you read the paper in the morning and that's how you got your news, right? right? Or you listen to NPR in the car when your parents were driving or whatever, but you weren't constantly barraged with photos and information and things to care about. You know, like I didn't devote nearly as much energy into caring about. Celebrities, as people do now, like constantly wondering, like you know, how's Taylor Swift doing with her boyfriend? Like you know, it's just like it's a constant
0: sort of yeah. Because People Magazine background. only came out um, like once a month, so that's the best you can yeah, get. Yeah, it
1: came out, <laughs> it came out, and you leaf through it, and then you were like, okay, well, I guess I'll wait a week for the next one. And it's and it's not. I mean, I feel like there's a constant thrum of background information that's running on our kids now. It's kind of like when your phone has all these apps refreshing in the background, you right. know, and. You just need to – we were able to just focus on one thing at a time um, when we were formulating our teenage years. So I'm not sure how you could ever go back. I think that, you know, it's definitely a Pandora's box, all the technology and all the information. But I think it's important for people to provide sort of context and structure and a scaffolding of support for kids. In a way that I'm not sure we're doing now, uh, and I'm not sure exactly how to get there. Like,
0: yeah. And what role does the does the district have in that versus you know family and sort of parenting decisions?
1: Yeah, you know that that is a question, right? Like, there's I think there's a lot of there's a weird dichotomy of people wanting the school to provide every possible service and comfort to their child, mm-hmm. but then also not get in their family business. Mm-hmm. And do th- you know, like, and do things like, th- and not not interfere with how the family wants to make decisions. And you see that with any flashpoint in our education system. You know, you see that with mental health. You see that with like course selection. Um, you know, if if a, the school is suggesting a class and the parent thinks the student should be taking a different level class, um, you certainly see that in areas like you know, whenever there's any kind of like sexual health education or anything like right. that. And it's so that's the question, but. There, I mean, I think most of that stuff is the family's role, ideally, right? Like a family is the one providing support. The family is one providing scaffolding. But the schools also have to be there when needed, not even just for like, oh, this person's in crisis at school or this person might be, you know, posing a risk or whatever. But just like if there's a student who's not getting the support that they need and they come to a, an adult at school, then that adult should have the resources to address that need. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then they're all mandated reporters, right? Like if a kid comes to an adult and he's like, I think I'm, you know, I'm really miserable and I don't see why I'm here, then the teacher needs to act on that. That's right. You know, because if they think that a student is is going to self-harm.
0: So do you think, do you think the district, you know, as, as a director, if you're elected, is that something where the district helps create a set of tools for parents to sort of understand, you know, some of the risks that, you know, they're facing our kids and, and run workshops or like, what's. How how would you sort of envision addressing this issue from the board level? Or or or, or is this an um, issue that would get addressed there?
1: I'm not sure that I mean that if you think about what's available right now, I think that the district is doing a good job with all the various resources there are. It's not just the district, but there's, you know, like the parent edge programming, which is fantastic, but it addresses a lot of these issues. You know, they always have like these, you know, like suicide workshops um, or just, you know, they had that excellent program that was on, that was last week and that they have the record. They just sent out the recording today of like, you know, that enough, that book that was just written about like, why are we pushing our students so hard for Mm -hmm. excellence? You know, like that was um, a really great programming Um, and that kind of thing. So parent edge is a great resource. Family services is a great resource and they do, you know, a community, work, not just in the, they don't just provide school counselors, but they also provide mental health counseling to the community um, and emergency services to the community. I think the city and the school have a good partnership that could only be strengthened, you know, like with the services they're providing. It's a city that that actually runs youth and family services um, and provides the counselors. It's the foundation that funds them and they're, and they're in the school. So it's all three together, you know, making that program strong. And I think that what we can do is sort of keep our eye on the idea that it's a priority and not give in to the sort of false idea that if we are supporting student mental health, then we do not care about academic achievement or we do not care about, you know, other things. Because I think that, you know, the theme of the school year this year is, for example, is like belonging, like, mm-hmm. like do our students feel like they belong in our schools and do they feel supported in our schools? And I think that's something important for, all the adults who are around students to keep their eyes on if they, you know, they say that like, if a student sees, you know, has just like one adult have a positive interaction with them in a day that can make a huge difference to their mental health. So it's just, it's a big burden that we're putting on our teachers and administrators to, to be that person to the student. And ideally, you know, they're getting that from their family and friends, but sometimes some kids aren't. So um, that's something that we all have to sort of be in support of.
0: Great. So we spent quite a bit of time talking through mental health. Um, no, 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 it's all, it's, it's, it's great. Um, and I mean, I, I, agree with you, you know, based on our, our family's observations, um, you know, that's really, really important. Um, so thanks for spending time on that. Um, what are, what are, you know, one or two others that that you're seeing that are kind of front of mind?
1: Yeah, I think that, um, uh, one issue that I think will be the big project for the next board, um, will really be like sort of, taking a good look at this, the long range facility management plan, you know, that that's in front of the committee, community right now. Um, It's obviously stuck a cord in the community, Mm -hmm. the idea of possible school consolidation, I think now that the formal community feedback, and um, frankly, the informal community feedback that that's been going around. um, I think it's apparent to the school board, this the school district that, um, you know, our community is a community that prefers to have smaller, four small neighborhood schools instead of three larger um, schools. And, you know, and that's, that's valid. I mean, I'm an Island Park, we're an, we're an Island Park family and that's, you know, it's it's just up the street from our house. Like that's something that I didn't want to see Island Park closed at all. Um, and don't really support the school consolidation. But I think then in that case, because the planning commission did their work with an idea toward sort of the numbers and the economy of it all, then if we support four smaller schools, then we need to figure out how to put our money where our mouth is as a community and as a district, because there are repairs that need to be made on, some, on our schools to even bring them up to like Washington state code, right? Like because of the new environmental laws that have been passed. Um, but there's also just you know, we've put off some repairs to the schools because we were sort of waiting to see like what's going to happen. Are we going to tear this down or whatever? And, um, you know, that whole mess a couple weeks ago on West Mercer where that sewer pipe broke, like those, that's the same age as the sewer pipes that are running in our schools, you know, or like, the schools are like 70 years old. Like I live in a house that was built in 1972. And I got to tell you, Ben, I hear a mysterious drip right yeah. now. And <laughs> yeah. you know, like, like, it's it's very disconcerting. Yeah. Like some the you know, things are falling apart. Um, and you're like, this can be either like, I can either fix this now or I can have a super expensive problem to fix, you know, in six months when something bad happens. Yeah. So I think that we have to approach that as sort of like, you know, do we want to be proactive and thinking how much is it going to cost to repair this school and bring it up to code or do like the minimum that will keep it safe and functional for another 30 years? Or, you know, do we disrupt our students for like one year and then have a brand new school mm-hmm. for the same amount of money? Like, I don't know those, you know, they haven't looked at it from that point of view. So the numbers aren't precise, but I think that it's something that it's worth looking mm-hmm. at. Yeah. Um, Where do we go? Like if if we say we want to have four small neighborhood schools, then how do we achieve that and still have four schools that are worthy of our students? Um, Anyway, I think that's going to be the big work of the board in the next several months, because that's something that's sort of coming to a point just as the new board gets sworn in. Right. Um, And then the, another issue that was important to me in running was just the idea of like the curriculum challenges and book, Banning that we're seeing elsewhere in the United States, um, just to make sure that that isn't something that takes hold of on Mercer Island and that, that we support the schools and um, the school libraries and whatever, if there are curriculum challenges and book challenges. I mean, it's, you know, I think that, I think that our selection committee, the way that we select work, the, you know, academic materials to go in our schools, it's very, it's a good process and it works well for the most part. Um, And of course, you know, things should be age appropriate. Of course, things should be, you know, like appropriate for the grade that people are reading them in. But I think it's very important that we give our children who, you know, literally live on an Island and one that, you know, we have 30% of our students are Asian, 30% of our students are Jewish. It's a, we have that diversity, but we, and other aspects of diversity, we really just don't have it. Um, And for economic diversity, we don't have it very much, you know, like we have 5% of our students getting the free lunch and the free lunch eligible, but like that's really different from neighboring school districts um, and the nation as a whole. So I want to make sure that our children have exposure to the sort of rich tapestry of life that exists off the island so that they have the cultural competency and the tools to sort of recognize what's going on when they do leave our island and go on to further education or work or whatever, wherever life takes them. Um, and I'm really struck by the sort of the news, you know, that comes out where it's like 60% of all book challenges are done by like 16 people, like literally 16 people, you know, are responsible for 60% of all the book challenges in the world. United States that are banning books in school districts all over. And it's just these people who are just you know really taking their values and their politics and saying this is what's appropriate for everyone in my state. And I don't think that's something that you can do in a public school education program.
0: So Jody, I, I wanted to jump back to the to some of the things you brought up with respect to the the long range facility plan. Um, Because there was quite a lot of ground covered there. And I'm kind of curious, maybe to to start for those who aren't, you know, super um, in tune with what's going on. Can you just kind of give your perspective of the challenges that are facing the district from, you know, an enrollment and sort of, you know, help us frame the challenges and then, you know, from with the knowledge that you have now, granted, you're not on the board and, and, you know, you're getting up to speed, uh, of course. Um what do you see as sort of the path forward that that you'd support?
1: So the the every year the district has to sort of submit a facilities plan, right? Like where they're like this is what needs to be done and sometimes it's as easy as we got to replace some seats in the whatever. You know, like in the uh arena or whatever. Like, you know, or something like that. It's minor. And then every once in a while they have to they go through and they're like, "Okay, let's see what has to be done. Let's make a, you know, honey-do list for the district essentially." And this year is sort of one of those big, uh, overhaul years. And they've been working since 2019 to take a look at the schools and say, really like where, how are our schools doing? What are the big projects that need to be done? What's the big overhaul Washington state has passed these environmental regulations that we have to, we have some stuff to do to schools. What else is there to do? And then that project kind of stopped during COVID, um, and then post, you know, COVID, they came back and we were like, okay, let's look at this again. Meanwhile, the district, like every other district, school district in, you know, America, Washington State, Western Washington, King County, every school district has had the same population drop um, post-COVID. And so our population projections that we had, our enrollment projections that we had um, in 2019 were no longer valid. So, you know, we had we saw we had a declining enrollment coming anyway that we was projected. And then that was just um, exacerbated by COVID and everything sort of sped up 10 years. Um, I think that the enrollment decline is, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways of looking at it. I think that some of it is some of the numbers are just, it's demographics for sure. Like, you know, the idea that, um, that there's missing children who have been pulled out of our school districts It's more like there's missing children who have never been born. Like the population, there's a, you know, huge population drop um, from 2016 on like people either weren't having kids or um, I mean, that's basically how the population drops, right? Like, like people, people weren't having as many babies. And so the babies not born in 2016 or not born in like 2020 are the ones that would be, entering pre-K and kindergarten and first grade right now. So um, naturally there's fewer children there. And if you look at the preschools on the Island and you talk to MEPA, the Mercer Island Preschool Association, you know, they'll say like, yeah, the enrollment in preschools is down. Like there's just not as many young kids um, around. And then there's other issues that affected enrollment. Um, you know, people, when people took their jobs completely online if you had a small kid, and even if you didn't, you may have moved to be in your family to provide that family support um, during the pandemic. Or maybe, uh, and I know in Western Washington, particularly, a lot of people, or in Seattle area, a lot of people moved to be somewhere where there's a lower cost of living. Like if you look at North Bend, they had a population boom during COVID because people moved out there where the cost of living was lower. They could still do their jobs. And if you look at our tech companies and our downtown companies in Seattle, the problem that they're having now is getting people back to the office. Like maybe these people moved where it was cheaper and easier for them to live and they don't want to come back. Um, so that's that's something else that that sort of added to the thing. And we in the district pulls families when they leave the district and, and a lot of them were moving out of state, you know, so those families aren't going to come back if, if, if they don't live in Washington anymore. Um, and then there's a lot of families that had children that were young during COVID who took advantage of the opportunity and um, and were financially able to, like many of our Mercer Island families are just demographically speaking, were able to enroll their children in private school so that they could have their five and six year old, not trying to zoom kindergarten. Um, which is probably a choice that I would have made if I'd had young children during the pandemic. I can't imagine asking a very young child to zoom their education when they could be um you know in person or running around and getting their yayas out and especially if you're a working parent who doesn't have the time to supervise that zoom learning i think that was you know a choice that a lot of people made and now you're seeing people what we're seeing is that a lot of those families are coming back like a lot of those families are at a natural inflection point um where like maybe if you put your kid out of school and they were young, you let them finish their, that school with their cohort so that you're not being disruptive. But then you bring them back for sixth grade, um, you bring them back for ninth grade. Or what we're seeing actually is like an enrollment bump also in 11th and 12th grade. So what we're seeing is that people want the name of a Mercer Island High School on their diploma and they're bringing their kids back from wherever they were and dropping them back into the public school um, for that, for the to finish up, which is something unusual. So,
0: yeah, so we're seeing a bump in enrollment at the middle school and high school level.
1: Yeah, so at the, trans, at the, the natural okay. transition points, yeah. you know, like a, so. I mean, if if I, if I had, I mean, thank God, every day I'm like, thank God, I had a middle school in a high school during during COVID. But mm-hmm. like, if I had a, someone in kindergarten, I would have done anything it took to get them into a school that was able to be in person, you know, and that yeah, wasn't a true. public school because the office, yeah. the state office of, of education was like, no, you can't be in person. So, um, say I put my first grader in there or my magical kindergartner in there. And then it's three years later. So that kid's in fourth grade. I'm not going to take them out of their private school now and away from their friends and everything that they've Yeah, you'd actually do yeah. that,
0: you know, at the middle but, school level.
1: Right. But when it comes time yeah. to for sixth grade, I'm like, let me get them back in this excellent Islander middle school. Where I can, they can go for free, and they'll be with their neighborhood cohort. Um, because one of the reasons I think that people move to Mercer Island is this—you know—that our school district is one of the most excellent ones in the state. But also, it's very neighborhood-focused, right? Right? Like, if you go to one yep. of our schools, then you're living near the kids that you go to school with, and you're on the same soccer team as those kids. You're on the same chess team as those kids. You know, you're playing band with those kids. It's really like such a neighborhoody feel. That can't be replicated when you go to an independent school, I think, um, unless you go to one of the small independent schools on the island, I think. But um, when we lived in D.C., our children went to Sidwell Friends School, which was an outstanding school. You know, they were there the same time the Obama girls were. Um, but it was not neighborhoody at all because it pulled from all over the city, right? So I've had that experience as well, where you maybe you send your kids to the most prestigious private school you can get them into, but then they're not living near their classmates. And for my children, who have known both worlds, they much prefer going to the public schools on Mercer Island, where they are neighbors and friends with everyone that they're going to school is with. So, um, so that, I think that the enrollment problem, you know, I take it seriously and... I know that these things come in cycles, so I don't want to shape our future thinking that we're going to have low enrollment and then have an enrollment boom, and then and then be like, oh no, what do we do now? We have so many kids, which is another reason I think to be against the consolidation of the schools into three schools. Um, you know, as a parent and interested voter, that in mean, my opinion sure. would be that that that's one of the reasons we don't consolidate. Like, we have seen population go down, and we've seen population go up. I think that some people are really overstating the role of sort of like family preference in politics and politics in the reason that people are withdrawing from the schools. And I just think that that is a much smaller issue than, than it actually is. I think that um, we need to take seriously the people who aren't enrolling their kids or who have withdrawn their children from schools. But ultimately, we are a public school system that is providing education for every child who lives in our district. So that's something that we should also take seriously, right? Like we need to provide the best education possible for, for every child that lives in our district and not one that makes it, that makes every family necessarily feel super comfortable. Right. I mean, it's like, like the example that I, that I use is that, you know, like we're a Quaker family, like, and I'm, you know, I'm Quaker and, and seniors are kids who are 18 or I forget why what the touch point is, but they get called. You know, the Mercer Island School District gives their names like every school district is, does in the country, um, shares information with graduating seniors with the armed services and so that they can con- recruiters can contact the families. Mm-hmm. And that's an arrangement, I think, that is, like I said, at the federal level or the state level or something. So, you know, it's not a local decision. It's a, it's a state or federal decision. Um, and you can opt out. And so the first time I was contacted, I was like, listen, we're a Quaker family. My children are not serving in the armed services. We do our public service elsewhere. So please don't contact us. And I was taken off the list. But I would never say to the school district, I mean, A, I couldn't because it's a state or federal requirement, you know, like, but I would never say the school should not allow recruiters to contact any student because I'm a Quaker. you know, I'm not going to impose like my sure, yeah, religious understanding of like what I think the world should look like on the district. I mean, in that case I couldn't because it was a whatever, but like, you know, I just think that we can't cater to every family's particular family values. Right. Like, because, sure. because we are, we represent every family on the district, not just certain families. I got a little waylaid. Sorry.
0: <laughs> no, no problem. And <laughs> no. I, 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 so I, I think, um, you know, clearly the, the enrollment there's a decline in enrollment you know the numbers are 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 pretty black and white it sounds like you are you know we're getting back to sort of okay what do we do about it um you know so it's, so you've said that you're not against you are against um you know consolidating the schools so with four uh, operating four elementary schools um you know smaller class sizes sort of what is what decision what what impact does that decision have on sort of our financial situation because um, th- Fred, Fred said, you know, the last couple of years uh, we've been you know, essentially borrowing from ourselves. My understanding is, you know, and we've been operating at a at a budget deficit, and so we've been borrowing out of our, you know, kind of piggy bank, if you will. Yeah. Um, My understanding well, how, how of that,
1: we- I mean, totally caveated that. You know, this is this is me harkening myself back to a budget briefing that I had um, with the district a couple years ago, a couple weeks ago, and I was trying to educate myself on this, but. My understanding is that the, that was a decision made by the previous superintendent's finance director that we have been recovering from uh, since. And I think our current finance director, who we were extremely lucky to poach from Basham Island School District, has been doing a great job of sort of writing the financial ship on that, um, bringing, you know, paying back the, the money that this district borrowed from itself itself. And getting our reserves back up to the point where, you know, our credit rating is as good as it's ever been. Like it's not like it's not like uh, you know, we've we've gone from an A to a A plus to a C. You know, it's like we've gone from an A plus to an A, and as we repay more money and build up our reserves, we'll we'll go back up to our A plus rating. So it's not like we have a bad credit rating now, it's just like we did take a ding because we did this unusual tactic um before the current superintendent was superintendent. But I think that, you know, it's, I mean, fewer students is, is less money. That's for sure. And, um, and the state and the federal government do not reimburse us adequately, even for the students that we have, in my opinion. Like, I think that, and, you know, we see that from our community where we're lucky enough to have the schools foundation and the youth and family services foundation and the booster clubs making up a lot of the slack that, that we have, um, with our budget. I think that the district and the city are, have, you know, a, a pretty good partnership going where they're reaching out to families. Um, you know, the school reaches out to families when they leave to sort of find, to assess why they're leaving. And also, you know, they're, they're doing a partnership thing with the city where they're just like reaching out to realtors and making sure that they, you know, have the latest stats on the schools and the school rankings and stuff. Or they do, um, and I don't really quite understand the tech part, so you know I might be making this part up. But like, say you search Mercer Island schools, and then you search Bellevue schools, you're going to get fed a targeted ad that talks about how great Mercer Island schools are. I mean, the, the specifics of that might not be right, but you know that's they're doing like that kind of sort of intelligent reach out again to people to just sort of say, say like, hey, you know, you're you're looking into Mercer Island schools. Let's talk about how great they are. Mm -hmm. um, to let people know that like, this is a, you know, you can bring your, you can move here and you can bring your kids into school first thing, and then, and then move them along for 12 years. And people do move here for the schools. Like the, our school district, you know, still is, you know, top in one of the top in the state and, um, up there in the nation and the education that the students are getting are, is outstanding. I talked yesterday with a woman who, you know, they moved here for the schools. They live in an apartment in the North end and they can't, find a house to buy here that they can afford. They're not a, you know, it's not a, it's a successful professional family. And when their youngest kid graduates next year, they're planning to move off island again. And it's a shame because she's, you know, they're such a value asset to the community. These people I volunteer with all the time. And that's another thing that, you know, that's, that's something that's sort of out of the district's hands, but like our housing costs are quite high in Mercer Island. There's like this imaginary young family with this st- wanting to look for a starter house that, you know, they're like, oh, that family can't buy on Mercer Island. But there's also like the not so imaginary way that people are doing it now where it's two 30 year olds in jobs in tech who are making plenty of money, but still can't find a house to buy on Mercer Island because, you know, they're all either, all the three bedroom houses have been torn down and replaced with six bedroom houses. So I think the housing issue and the, is something that, that the district can't do anything about, but it's something that's definitely affecting the enrollment, particularly in the younger grades. But I think as big a factor was um, national and uh, statewide sort of like just demographic trends of children, just, you know, like the drop drop in population and, you know, the pandemic, you know, speeding everything along by people being able to move anywhere they wanted and still send their kids to school be- or, and take themselves to work because they were online.
0: Yeah, and so I, I think we're we're kind of uh, winding down here time wise. Um, you know, we spent qu- quite a bit of time sort of talking through you know a number of issues um, that are facing you know our kids in our district. And I appreciate you know you spending time elaborating on that. I think that's really helpful. Um, you know, want to sort of end on a on a on a high note here. Um, you know, what what do, what, what do you think is the biggest opportunity that we have as a community for our kids that we're not ad- adequately taking advantage of right now?
1: This is a really good question. I don't I haven't really uh, come across this one, and I've come across a lot of questions in the last 6 months. I got to tell you Ben. Um, good. <laughs> good job. <laughs> uh, I think that the a great opportunity that we have for the kids right now is to really show some nimbleness and some flexibility and plan well for the future 5, 10, 15 years out. Um, I think one of the, you know, one would ever hate to say blessings of COVID, but like one of the silver linings of COVID mm-hmm. was that how fast the district was able to pivot. I mean, if you think about it, like we had just been going to school in schoolhouses for decades, right? Like that's how school was. And then all of a sudden in six weeks, we had technology out to every student who needed it. We had You know, people going to school online now. There was a lot of things to not love about having your kid go to school online, right? Like, and there was a lot of things to to complain about about how the way it worked initially. But you know, I I remember driving around the island, helping deliver Wi-Fi routers, Wi-Fi hotspots, and iPads to students who didn't have that technology at home. Like, even on Mercer Island, we had kids who needed to be outfitted so that they could learn at an equal pace with their kids you know, who live like in my house where everyone has their own laptop and their own, you know, we have super fast Wi-Fi, so kids can game, right? Like you want to make sure that every kid had the same opportunity when online school started. And we were lucky in that case that we could, we had the funds to provide technology and Wi-Fi hotspots to every kid. So that was like sort of an example of like, we showed a lot of flexibility and creativity in that. And what I would really like us to do is to show some flexibility and creativity in looking to the future, and taking a hard look and saying like, you know, here's a class that we love and seems like a benchmark of, you know, what a successful high school look like, you know, class looks like. Um, but is anybody taking it willingly? And is it anything that's going to be useful? You know, what is going to be useful 5, 10, 15 years now uh, from now for students? You know, I'm, I'm hearing from, um, you know, like Ananta, who I think is a, is brilliant with all things tech, you know, and he's talking about how like data analysis and data collection is a skill that students have to have now. And I'm thinking, you know, like, do we have a class on that? Do we have, are we teaching that skill? Because what I do see is that students are still required to take three years of a foreign language. And, you know, I was a French major in college, right? Like I am the last person to say that that has not had an extremely valuable aspect of my life. Like I, you know, I taught in France for a year, I lived in France for a year, but I'm not sure that that's a measurable skill that is super important um, compared to fluency with data. You know, like I mean, you know, you know mm-hmm. in, the, right. in today's world. And yeah. so, like, are we taking a look at are we are we just holding on to what was important, you know, 30 or 40 years ago when we were in high school, um, or are we looking forward and imagining what's going to be important, you know? 10 15 20 years into the future. And of course it's impossible. I mean things are changing so much but it's it's impossible to say okay in 20 years what's going to be like. But we can easily say okay in 10 years what's going to be like what's important for these kids to you know if you're in 8th grade let's lay out a path and think okay what's going to be in 10 years when you graduate from college what would you wish that you had more background in. Yeah. So I think that it I think that moving from a necessarily reactive and path that we've had for the last four years of getting you know we had a particular crisis and getting through it and emerging from it strong. like let's say that we've done that we're we're on the path to do that. Let's focus our energies now on having some curiosity about the future and what that looks like for our students and really trying to focus our energies on bringing about the best possible future for our Mercer Island students and our Mercer Island families through maybe dreaming big and also through taking an analytical eye to how the schools are doing now and how they could possibly be doing.
0: Well, awesome. I love that. Uh, way, way to end on a, on a high note. Jody. I want to thank you again for, for joining and, and having a discussion here with me. Um, if, if people want to learn more about you and your candidacy, where can they go to, to get more information?
1: Yeah. So my website is Jody Lee for MI Schools. It's the number four dot com, um, and my email's on there. And uh, I haven't been as active on it as I should probably be, but my Instagram is the same, Jody Lee for MI Schools, and you can look at things there.
0: Awesome. Well, th- thanks again for joining, and uh, wish you the best of luck. And uh, everybody listening, get out and vote.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much, Ben. Yeah. Get out All and right. vote. Get those ballots back.
0: Thanks, Jody.